0: Well, despite being on his second NBA team and his fifth NBA season, former Gonzaga Bulldogs one-and-done star Zach Collins is still just 24 years old. Does Greg Popovich have a potential breakout candidate on his hands? We discuss that all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app today and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. All right, we are hammering through our Zags in the NBA season preview series. The NBA season starts on October 19th, less than a month away, closer to three weeks away. There's a little bit of overlap where the NBA season starts before the college basketball season gets going. So I know many fans who are itching to see Gonzaga basketball will be out there watching The Memphis Grizzlies, the Washington Wizards, a handful of other teams that have Zags in the NBA on those rosters. We've been going through talking about each Gonzaga player in the NBA, talking about their history, how they got where they are, their best and worst case scenarios for this upcoming season, as well as their actual prediction, predicted role and expectation for the upcoming year. Today, we are talking Zach Collins. Zach Collins is actually one of the longest tenured players In the NBA, out of Gonzaga, it's a surprise. He's only 24 years old. But, of course, the first five-star in Gonzaga basketball history. The first one-and-done in Gonzaga history. We're going to talk here about his history, of course, Collins' first five-star recruit in school history. He began at Bishop Gorman High School. He was a four-star recruit for most of the time that he was being pursued by Gonzaga. Ended up getting that five-star status before he joined the Zags in 2016. He came off the bench for that incredible 16-17 team, that team that, of course, was winning the national championship game against the North Carolina Tar Heels until... They were not winning that game. It was a a tough game to watch. Some poor officiating on both sides. The Kennedy Meeks call, of course, very, very iconic. Zach Holmes was a huge part of that team. He played in 39 games. He averaged about 17 minutes per night. So, yeah, he was coming off the bench. He was the third big on that team behind Shemek Karnowski, behind Jonathan Williams. Killian Tilly was the fourth big on that team. Incredible that the two backups on that roster are the two guys who are currently in the NBA. That's just how it works sometimes. Uh, That team was ridiculously loaded in the front court For Collins, in his lone season at Gonzaga, he averaged about 10 points per game, six rebounds, and just under two blocks. He was a hyper, hyper, hyper... Efficient scorer for the Zags who shot 67% on two-pointers and a ridiculous 47.6% on threes. Yes, the sample size there was small. He was 10 for 21 from deep. Again, this is a common theme on these podcasts. It's a common theme Really, whenever discussing Mark Few offenses, particularly when looking at big men, the big men don't shoot a lot of threes. There are, of course, exceptions. Killian Tilly is a very, very notable exception. He took a whole bunch of threes. He was really, really good at it. Kyle Wilcher is an exception as well. But even when you look at, like, Kelly Olenek's history, he didn't take a ton of threes at Gonzaga. Elias Harris didn't take a ton of threes at Gonzaga. Zach Collins. Like, a lot of these guys really didn't take a bunch of outside shots. It's just not really in the game plan. Mark Few's offense is so, the half-court offense in particular, is so predicated on getting the ball to the low post. And so you're not going to have your big men standing out around the three-point line, taking a lot of shots that way. It's just not really the way that the offense operates, but it's how the NBA operates. So you see a lot of guys, Collins included, who take a lot more threes when they get into the league. Regardless, Zach Collins was awesome during the regular season at Gonzaga. He was even better when this team got into the NCAA tournament, he really turned some heads. At that point, he averaged nine points, six point eight rebounds, and three blocks per game during those six NCAA tournament games. He shot sixty four and a half percent from on two pointers. He shot at sixty six point seven percent on threes. Again, tiny sample size there, but still knocked him down. When he took them, he had a couple of highlight real games. 14 points, five boards, four blocks against Northwestern. One of those blocks was the very famous block where Zach Collins' hand was quite clearly in the net underneath the rim. It should have been called a goaltending. It wasn't called a goaltending. The Northwestern fans were very unhappy because that was a big momentum shift in that game. Collins also had 14 points, 13 boards, and six blocks against South Carolina, the game that sent Gonzaga to the national championship. Most people remember the West Virginia game and the epic Jordan Matthews shot. A lot of people, of course, remember the national championship game. The Kennedy Meeks call. Shemek struggling in that game because he'd been poked in the eye. But I think the South Carolina game gets forgotten a little bit. It was obviously Gonzaga's first time being in the Final Four, so at that point, the Zags were sort of playing with house money, but they didn't just make the Final Four. They made it to the national championship game. Killian Tilly had two clutch free throws at the end of that game to send the Zags officially to the national championship. But Zach Collins was a monster in that game. 14 points, 13 boards, six blocks. That is a tremendous line in any game. But to do that in a Final Four game as a true freshman and a backup, to do that as a not-starting freshman big Is just ridiculous. That is an obscene line for somebody to post in that particular situation. So hats off to Zach Collins. He also had 9.7 boards in the national championship game on four of six shooting. Again, Karnowski really struggled in that game. That was a a huge factor for why Gonzaga didn't win. But Zach Collins did not struggle. Four of six shooting, nine points. Really, really nice game for him. He parlayed his incredible tournament success into becoming Gonzaga's first ever one and done. He was drafted by the Sacramento Kings at number 10 overall. We're talking about a guy who didn't start in college. who was a lottery pick, number 10th overall pick. The Kings immediately traded him in a draft day trade to the Portland Trailblazers. Again, this was the 2017 NBA draft. The Blazers got him. They got their hands on him. They were excited about his potential, what he was going to do for this team. And he made an immediate impact in a small role as a rookie in his first season in the NBA. He averaged four and a half points, 3.3 rebounds in 66 games. He played about 16 minutes per night right out of the shoots. This is a team that was willing to give him an opportunity to play big minutes immediately. We saw an uptick in playing time in year two. This was his most Productive season in the NBA thus far because he stayed healthy for the entire season, 77 games. In 2018 2019, he averaged just under 18 minutes per game, six and a half points, four rebounds, about a block per game. Really nice season for him. When the 1920 season began, Zach Collins was going to be the starting power forward for the Blazers. He had earned himself a starting opportunity. He was 22 years old at this time. He was going to start on a team that had playoff aspirations. They had Damian Dillard. They had CJ McCollum. They had Yusuf Nurkic. They were ready to roll. And then in the third game of that season, Zach Collins jumped up for a rebound alongside Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. They came down together. Zach Collins hurt his shoulder. He was kind of walking off, limping, grabbing his shoulder. And that was it. Things haven't really been the same for Zach Collins since that moment. The separated shoulder cost him the rest of the season. It would have been the entire rest of the season, except, of course, in March of 2020, COVID-19, Rocked the entire world. The basketball season, the NBA season got suspended temporarily. Did not come back until July. By that point, Zach Collins was healthy. He was able to return to the Blazers in the infamous bubble. He returned. He played eight games for them. He started all of them 25 and a half minutes per game. Averaged 6.7 boards, 1.3 assists. Looked really good in those eight games coming back. He didn't play that much. I think he ended up not playing in the play. He played a little bit in the playoffs, but he didn't finish the season playing for the Blazers in the playoffs because he suffered some more injuries. And unfortunately, those injuries continued to linger and linger and linger. And he ultimately missed the entire 2020-2021 season. Just did not play at all. That was his final season in a Blazers uniform, I suppose, with the Portland Trail Blazers. They ended up not re-signing him after that. He signed with the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs immediately announced say he's not going to be healthy for the start of the season. He was dealing with ankle injuries. He's had just a multitude of different injuries. He ultimately ended up returning for the Spurs after Christmas. He appeared in twenty eight games down the stretch last season. It was so nice to see him after so much time away. Just get back on the court and be healthy and be the Zach Collins that we know he is. But it was a bonus that he looked really darn good. He didn't just look like. The Zach Collins we saw as a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old rookie with the Blazers, he didn't look he didn't even look quite like the player that we saw as a starter for the Blazers before he went down with that injury. He was playing more of a facilitator role. His assist numbers were far higher than we've ever seen from him before. He averaged 7.8 points, which was a career high even though it was only in 18 minutes per game. from deep, that was a career high. 55% on twos, that was a career high. 80% from the free throw line, guess what? That was a career high too. Again, we're talking about 28 games. The main question and the thing we're going to talk about extensively in segment two is instead of 28 games, what does that look like over 82 games? Can Zach Collins A, stay healthy for an entire season? And B, if he does, what does that look like in Greg Popovich's offense? On a San Antonio team that kind of has a lot of moving parts that could eventually have more moving parts as this team may potentially continue to trade pieces. What does this all look like for Zach Collins? We're going to talk about that in segment number two. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us where it hurts. And it really hurts. That's why I started using upside. Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. The app is crazy easy to use, and there's no catch. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED, and you will get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and you'll get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's part of why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 using code LOCKED. Alright, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and I wanna thank all of you. Who have made this podcast your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who are checking the show out on YouTube, is very much appreciated. There, we are close to 925 subscribers. We're so so close, you guys, to getting to that a thousand subscriber mark. If you are listening to this and you have not subscribed, very simple: go to YouTube, type in "Locked On Zags," you'll see the channel, hit that big red subscribe button. You can see access to every video we've done; they're organized. You can see all the mailbag episodes. All of these season preview series for the NBA players when we, of course, start doing a similar series for current players on Gonzaga's roster. Those will all be organized there as well. It's a great spot to get all of your preseason content. Check it out. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. All right, we're still talking Zach Collins here. In segment number two, we're going to talk best case, worst case scenarios. Best cases within reason, worst cases without injury. I try to avoid discussing injury as a worst case scenario because it is fairly obvious that that is the worst case scenario. Of course, with players who have had an injury history like Zach Collins's, we will not avoid it entirely, but for the most part, we're not going to discuss it as a worst case scenario. We're also not going to discuss a scenario where Zach Collins is the league MVP because I don't think that that is particularly realistic. However... I do think it's realistic that Zach Collins plays the most minutes of his career during the 22-23 season. I think he's going to play big minutes as the San Antonio Spurs backup five and kind of their backup four. I think he's going to be in a somewhat similar role that he was at Gonzaga, actually, as a backup five-four kind of hybrid. Jakob Pertl is going to start at the five. For the San Antonio Spurs, Pirtle, of course, was University of Utah. DeMontis Simonis crushed him in the second round of the NCAA tournament back in, I believe, 2016 was that tournament year. Uh, He's going to start at the 5 for the Utah Jazz. Kelton Johnson is going to start at the 4. Nobody is going to remove those two guys from that starting spot unless the Spurs front office decides to make a trade. Other than that, those two guys are up there. They're starting. They're playing a lot of minutes. Beyond that, the rest of the depth, Isaiah Roby. Doug McDermott, depending on if the San Antonio Spurs start him at the three or if they play him more in a four role. Jeremy Sochan, Gorgie Deng. There's a lot of talent in that front court, but frankly the best case scenario for Zach Collins is that he is ahead of everybody on that depth chart outside of Pirtle and Johnson. He's playing 20 to 25, maybe even 26, 27 minutes per game. That would be a career high for Zach Collins. But we're talking best-case scenario, right? We're talking best-case scenario for Zach Collins. He's playing 25 minutes per game. He's playing minutes alongside Pirtle. He's playing minutes alongside Keldon Johnson. He's playing the third-most minutes of the big men on that team by a considerable amount. Again, he averaged about 18 minutes per game last year. They were probably playing with a little bit with kid gloves with him, kind of making sure that he was healthy, that he was ready to go, that they were giving him proper rest, that they weren't overdoing it after missing a year and a half. If he's still fully healthy and ready to roll, there's no reason he can't play more minutes than that. The San Antonio team has decent depth in the front court, but Zach Collins, when he's healthy and playing his best basketball, is as good as anybody else that's going to compete for those minutes behind Pirtle and Kelton Johnson. Ways that he does this, ways that he becomes the clear-cut number three big man on that team, the outside shooting ticks up. We haven't quite seen Zach Collins be the knockdown, consistent outside shooter that many believe he's capable of being. For his career at this point, he is a 32.7% three-point shooter. Last year, again, small sample size, 28 games, he was 34.1%. His best ever is just under 37%, but that was in 11 games, three of them at the beginning of the 2019 season. The other eight coming in the bubble. I'm not sure that we can take an 11-game sample size and really extrapolate that too much, especially when you consider the very weird situation that both of those, uh, that the three games at the beginning of the year and the eight games in the bubble kind of represent for him. But in the best case scenario, we're looking at a player who does shoot closer to that 37, maybe even 38% from deep. A guy who instead of going one for eight for an entire week and then turning around and making five in a row we see a guy who's more consistent who's routinely knocking down a couple of shots he's two for five today he's one for three the next day he's just kind of consistently hitting those shots to the point where defenses have to respect him they don't have to gamble and like hey maybe it's a bad day for him they have to respect him because night in and night out he's knocking down those outside shots Beyond that, the efficiency outside of just the outside shot remains as well. Again, 80% of the free throw line. I'm not sure he's going to hold that for a full season, but he's a 74 75% three point shooter before that. Stands to reason he can be 76 77 for an entire season. on two-pointers would be incredible. He was 54% last year with the Spurs. If he can be a slightly more efficient scorer around the rim, a more efficient scorer from three, knock down more of his free throws, all of a sudden you have a guy that it's really, really hard to not find 20 minutes per game to get him out on the floor. Beyond the scoring, scoring is obviously important, but there's more to basketball than scoring. A huge thing for Zach Collins is if he can be a better distributor. He averaged 4.4 assists per 36 minutes last year. That is far, far and away his career high. Looking at per 36 numbers, which is the easiest way to evaluate Zach Collins because his minutes have been so wonky, because he hasn't played very many games in each of the last couple of seasons, the highest his assists per game per 36 had been prior to last season was two. Last year was 4.4. It is very clear that Greg Popovich is using Collins in a different way. He is more of a facilitator, more of a passer, more of a guy who gets the ball and makes things happen. This is how Pop has always run his offense. Watch any highlight tapes of Tim Duncan for a variety of reasons, just for fun. Watch Tim Duncan highlights because they're awesome. But Duncan gets the ball at the top of the key. He does dribble handoffs. He does turn and face, goes to the basket, you know, kicks it out to shooters. All of that stuff is being facilitated through Tim Duncan. Zach Collins is not Tim Duncan. I'm not prying to claim that Zach Collins is Tim Duncan, but if Popovich is willing to use him as a player who makes things happen, who facilitates the offense a little bit, we're going to see an uptick in those assists. Best case scenario, that uptick does not come with a significant uptick in turnovers, which frankly is what happened last year. 4.4 assists per 36 is fantastic, but he also... Average 3.2 turnovers in that same period of time. Best case scenario, the turnover number comes down, the assist number comes up or at least stays the same. He's a clear-cut facilitator. He's not making as many mistakes with the basketball in his hands. That plus some efficiency in the shooting department, already that right there is going to make Zach Collins a very valuable player next season. But we could also see some improvements on the defensive end of the floor as well. Zach Collins is a good shot blocker in college. He's been a pretty good shot blocker in the NBA too. Not great. He has not been elite at that, but he has been fine at it. He has been solid at it. I think... A best-case scenario for Zach Collins is that we see him continue to improve as a rim protector. He uses his feet well. He uses his strength well. He avoids committing fouls, which has been a challenge for him dating all the way back to his year at Gonzaga. And we just see a guy who who can contribute on both ends of the floor in a significant way. The best-case scenario for Zach Collins is that the San Antonio Spurs very sig- seriously consider trading Jakob Pertle at the trade deadline. He was already connected to the Los Angeles Lakers and a potential Russell Westbrook trade. That has still has some legs. It's possible that still continues to happen. The Spurs... Have a have significantly more depth in the front court than they do in the back court. So trading some of their front court depth for a guard makes some sense. If the Spurs feel like Zach Collins can take on a bigger role, Pirtle is the best trade asset that they have. They could look to trade Keldon Johnson, but that would be a very big trade. I'm not sure they're willing to do that this close to the start of the season. Not sure they'll be willing to do that at the trade deadline. Although you never know. It could happen, but Collins is a big hinge for them. If he plays well, if he stays healthy, then the Spurs are going to be more willing to trade some of their assets to get some more depth in the guard rotation. That's good news for Zach Collins long-term. All right, what are the worst-case scenarios for Zach Collins? Well, again, we don't like to talk about injuries here, but injuries are obviously a factor here. Can he stay healthy for a full season? He doesn't need to play all 82, Maybe he takes some maintenance days, some rest days. That's a pretty common thing in the NBA. It's a pretty common thing for the San Antonio Spurs to do. Maybe he plays 75 games. Worst case scenario is that you just don't know if he's healthy day in or day out. Beyond that, since I don't want to harp on injuries too much, uh, worst case scenarios for Zach Collins is those efficiency improvements just don't stick. The three-point percentage maybe hovers around 32, 33. It doesn't get up over that. He's inconsistent. Some weeks he's not knocking any down. Some weeks he catches fire. You just don't know what you're getting. The two-point percentage is closer to 50%. The free throw percentage drops too. He's just not as efficient of a scorer as he was in his 28-game sample with the Spurs last season. The worst-case scenario for Zach Collins, turnovers are a big issue. You can't put him in a role where he's facilitating the offense, where he's doing the dribble handoffs, where he's trying to make passes to cutting players because he's not good enough at it. He's making too many mistakes with the basketball. Guards are poking the ball away from him. He's throwing the ball to the other team. He's not efficient enough. He's not making the right decisions with the basketball in his hands, and you can't put him in that role. That, to me, is the worst-case scenario for Zach Collins. If you cannot give him the ball away from the rim, if you can't let him create on his own, do anything with the basketball, he's going to be really tough to play in Greg Popovich's offense. That's what they rely on. This is why Pop sought him out in free agency because they know that he's capable of doing that kind of stuff. He can do he can bring that to your team. If he's not doing that, you're going to have some serious issues. He would lose playing time. Isaiah Roby, Jeremy Sochan, Gorgie Dang, all those guys would play over him if he's unable to do that, or at least a, a combination of those guys would play over him. Even if just one of them is playing in front of Zach Collins, you're going to see his minutes drop fairly significantly from the potential for 22, 25 minutes per night. All of a sudden, it's 14 it's 12 at that point he're not he's he's barely a rotation player he's not getting enough of a rhythm to really have that outside shot start to stick even if there is a trade he maybe doesn't his playing time maybe doesn't bump up all that much Beyond that, of course, the shot blocking, the overall defense, we need to see that improve as well. If there are mobility issues that prevent him from moving laterally, then all of a sudden it's tough for him to be a defensive player on high ball screens. You need to be able to see that. That's a a critical skill for all bigs in the NBA. They need to be able to defend a high pick and roll. If Zach Collins is unable to move laterally, if he's struggling with that, or even if it's not an injury related thing, even if he's just, he's just struggling to play defense in that capacity, that's going to be an issue for him as well. Frankly, it's not that hard to see a situation where Zach Collins sort of gets stuck in no man's land. I think he's the number three big. We're going to talk about that in the third segment of what I realistically expect from Zach Collins in his fifth NBA season. But I think that there's a a situation where if he struggles a little bit, if some of the other young guys for San Antonio play well, all of a sudden he's kind of in this position where you're like, is he going to even play today? If he does, is it going to be as the third big? Is he the fifth big? Is he playing five minutes per night, 18 minutes per night? Like he he could kind of get stuck in this really – Big, massive no-man's land that a lot of NBA players end up getting stuck in. Right now, I don't think he's there, but he needs to play well, kind of right out of the shoots, in order to avoid getting in that situation. All right, third and final segment coming up. We're going to take a look at Zach Collins' expected role, his expected production this season, right after this. All right, segment three. Still any Patton, still locked on Zach. Still appreciate all of you coming here and checking out the show. Thank you again for making Locked on Zach's your first listen of the day. We're talking realistic role and expectation for Zach Collins in his fifth NBA season, his first full year with Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. I believe Zach Collins is going to be the third big. I believe Kelton Johnson, Jakob Purtle, those are your starting five and your four, without a doubt. In my mind, there's no question there. I think Doug McDermott's going to play a lot of his minutes at the three. I think Jeremy Sochan's going to play a lot of his minutes at the three. I think that allows Collins to be a rotating 5-4 backup. I think he's ahead of Isaiah Roby on the depth chart. I think he's ahead of Gorgie Dang on the depth chart. I think he's going to play more than those two guys. So I think you're going to see a guy who kind of plays the similar Zach Collins role we've seen in the past. Most of his seasons in the, in the NBA so far, he's played around 17 minutes per game. That is, of course, when he's been healthy. That has been an issue for him. But if health is not a factor here for Zach Collins, when he's on the court, I think the 17 to 19, 20 minutes per game range is kind of where he's going to sit. I think that, I think that he's going to have a similar role, not just in terms of minutes per game, but I think in terms of how the Spurs try to use him. Popovich is not going to give up on a guy after 28 games where he kind of turned the ball over a little too much. I don't think Pop is going to move on from he's 24 years old. He's very young still. I think they're going to get him out there. They're going to put him in that facilitator role. They like the outside shooting. The fact that he can turn face and, and hit an outside shot is critical to their offense. Their guards are going to be rotating off of him. I think we're going to see a guy who improves his passing, who improves his ball handling. He's still going to make mistakes. I don't think his turnover numbers are going to be elite for a big man in a situation similar to his. I think he's still going to have some bad passes. He's still going to make some mistakes. He's still going to have some issues as an outside shooter. I don't think the consistency is going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be better. I think he's going to get better as the year goes on. That's something I'm very excited about. I think a month into the NBA season, whatever numbers Zach Collins are putting up, I expect those to get better as the year goes on, maybe not dramatically, maybe he's not going to double his scoring or anything like that, but he's going to get more efficient as a passer. He's going to sharpen the edges a little bit. The defense is going to get better. The lateral movement, again, health permitting is something that I want to see him improve on so he can play good defense away from the rim. He can play good defense at the rim challenge guys, block shots. Yeah. The foul stuff's probably still going to be there. I'm not going to sit here and expect that Zach Collins is all of a sudden going to be such a, An elite footwork big that he's not committing fouls, that he's managing to to block shots or alter shots while not fouling. He's going to have some issues with that. He always has had some issues with that, but he's a tenacious, tenacious basketball player, a good rebounder, a good shot blocker. Yeah, maybe he commits some dumb fouls. Maybe he even gives up a few and ones, does some stuff that makes you roll your eyes a little bit. But if he's working hard... If he's letting other players know, hey, every time you come into the paint, you're gonna run into me. There's gonna be some contact. There's gonna be some aggression there. Like those kind of things matter. You need players who can do that. Zach Collins is that. I think I don't know if it was his rookie year or if it was his second year when Zach Collins was really mouthing off to Clay Thompson. I don't know if you guys remember that video. He he was not afraid to tell Clay Thompson just exactly how he felt. And this was when he was like, I'm not sure if Zach Collins could legally drink when he was having these conversations with Clay Thompson on the court. You want a guy like that. You need a guy with a little bit of meanness, a little bit of aggression on the basketball court. Zach Collins is going to fill that role really nicely for the San Antonio Spurs. I think if, if we see some uptick in his consistency as an outside shooter, if we see some uptick in his ability to be that facilitator to kind of learn that role in Greg Popovich's offense, we could see the best season of Zach Collins' career. I think there are outcomes where, those things maybe don't come together and he struggles to find himself some significant playing time. There's a wide range of outcomes for Zach Collins this season. It's hard to project a guy who's in his fifth season but has really not held a consistent role, mostly because of injuries. It's not because teams have been jerking him around. Portland gave him two roles as a two years as a backup and entered him into the starting lineup. That's that makes sense to me, especially for a kid coming out of his freshman year of high school or of college, excuse me, but it just didn't work because of the injuries, because of how much time he has missed. If he's healthy this year, if he makes some of those improvements, the Spurs have themselves the ability to potentially make some moves. Potentially deal Jakob for a young for a young guard. Potentially deal Jakob just for picks if that's what they want to do. Move some pieces around. Get Zach Collins more playing time. Heck, maybe he becomes a trade piece. I don't know exactly how how far away the Spurs are from from really trying to contend here. They're. they're Depth on their team is a little bit spotty. I don't know what their their draft pick situation looks like long-term. I doubt Greg Popovich wants to sit around in mediocrity for very long. So I expect this team is going to try to get back out there and start winning some basketball games very soon. So if they don't want to make those trades, they're going to go into this t- season really trying to compete with the team that they have. Awesome. I think they need to get some more guard depth if that requires them to trade out of their front court depth. How Zach Collins does this year is a critical part of that. Because if he plays well... They have the ability to do that. If he gets hurt, or if he doesn't play well, he doesn't look like a guy that can take on a bigger role. That hamstrings the Spurs in a pretty significant way of can we can we rely on Isaiah Roby? Can we rely on Gorgie Dang? We can't rely on Zach. So who else can step up so that we can trade Jakob Pertl, So that we can trade Keldon Johnson. Or if not, we gotta build around these guys. We got to figure out what to do in the guard room. We got to figure out what to do to get this team to contend. Because Greg Popovich doesn't want to sit around and lose. He does not want to do that. I know that. I promise you that. I think Zach Collins is a really important piece for the San Antonio Spurs. I think it's going to be really fun to see how he does this year. I think Gonzaga fans, perhaps there's a, there's a contingency out there that have written him out because he has missed so much time, because he only spent one year at Gonzaga. I understand that. It feels like he was there so long ago in many ways, but I think he's, uh, he's due for potentially a really, really great season if he can stay healthy, and I'm really excited to see what he does in his first full year with Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the website for my written content, scorezagscore.com. Look out for more fun stuff coming later this week. We got more of these NBA player previews. We got a fun podcast coming your way, ranking WCC head coaches right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Go there, check it out, hit That big red subscribe button, I really appreciate it. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.